everybody and welcome again to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm Diane Gibbs. I'm an associate professor of graphic design at the University of South Alabama and I do this weekly uh, web show for designers at all levels. It's really to motivate, inspire, to connect and educate about all different kinds of topics for freelancers, for uh, people working at regular big corporations and maybe you're the only designer or maybe you're in a big design firm and you just need some different kinds of inspiration and today I'm really excited to have Laura Draypack. I always want to make sure I'm saying everybody's name right um, and she is a designer but she's also a, a letterpress uh, printer she and a printmaker she's done actually has her masters in printmaking and she is really combines these two things and I know a lot of designers really enjoy uh, printmaking but they really feel like it's like on the other side or or they don't really know how to combine them and so Laura's going to give us a little bit of insight into how to do that so happy new year to everybody if you're new and you haven't um, joined us before and you know we're here and we're here every Wednesday and we try to do it at 2.30 Eastern Time. So if you would like to get our email list, you can get it and there's, you, there you can sign up right there. It's at the top of the page. It's at any page on designrecharge.org. So Laura, take it away. Tell us a little bit about you and how you, um, your, a little bit of your background. Sure. Well, thank you, Diane. I want to thank you for having me and to, here to represent Triple Threat Press. My name is Laura Draypack. I am a designer and printmaker, and I'm half of Triple Threat Press, which is um, the company that I'm a partner in uh, down in Dutton, Texas. We do letterpress, uh, graphic design, and web design. And um, my other half, Dave Cohen, is sitting in on chat right now, and um, he is down in uh, he lives down in Denton with me, and we run this company together. Cool. So, where did you go to school, and what did you study undergrad? Um, I did my undergraduate degree at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and uh, when I was in Athens, I got um, BFA in graphic design and printmaking. They're two separate departments, and I double majored. So when I got out, I had this background in two fields that are so much alike, and uh-oh. <laughs> Am um, I, can you see me now? Hopefully you'll be back, and maybe it's I just me. I hope I'm me. back, too. Um, oh, there you are. I hear you now. Okay. Hi. It's, it's sorry. on me. I am so sorry. And just so you know, um, for everybody, there's a chat window so you can actually type questions in or you can submit a question right underneath Laura. There's a big button. You can do it there. Um, or if you would like to um, connect with us in other ways later on in the show, we'll be giving our Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. But um, sorry, if it ever does crap out and it freezes for too long, um, what you can do is refresh the browser, and this is for Laura or for anybody else watching. Usually we don't freeze for too long, but sometimes it does happen. Technical stuff, you know, where it's, we just roll with it. Anyway, so you were <laughs> saying, and I'm not sure um, how, so where did you come up with the name Triple Threat Press? And how did you decide you wanted to open your own press? That's a good question. Um, Triple Threat Press uh, was uh, named as such because we do three things. We do letterpress, web design, and graphic design. And so we wanted something that would 
kind of share with people that we were multifaceted. We do have a root in um, design, both of us, um, both Dave and I have a background in graphic design and web design, and I am primarily the person who um, has a background in printmaking, although Dave is now trained in letterpress, so um, that's great. Um, so we can both print. And I think that um, the main reason that we started getting into this letterpress was because when I finished up my MFA in printmaking, I was looking for a way to continue my practice of printing at home because as anyone in academia can tell you, research is so important and for academics in the art field, research is creating work. So it was just so important that I kept making work because if I was going to get a teaching job, I had to show that I didn't just stop making art after graduate school. Um, it just so happened that we came across a letterpress in Sanger, Texas um, on Craigslist very, very um, randomly. It was just all of a sudden it was posted and I, I jumped on it one morning and we picked it up that same day and it kind of became both my fine art printmaking tool for my own personal research and the foundation for our business all in 24 hours. So that's pretty much how we got started. It was very, it was, it was a lot of uh, talking before that, but until that press came into our life in Texas, there was actually, um, there was actually just up in the air plans to start a business. So is this the press of how you got it? That is the press when it arrived. It was covered in rust. It moved, but barely. And to be honest, it was so dangerous to move it with that amount of rust on it. We pretty much immediately started taking it apart and removing and deoxidizing um, the rust uh, on the press. It was, it was a fun project for me, I think, personally. Um, I had to do a little bit of convincing for my partner uh, of, of my partner Dave because I had done this before and even though he was super enthusiastic about doing it it's a really daunting task taking apart a machine that is <laughs> older than your parents <laughs> it's it is really scary and so my background in in letterpress really didn't start until i was in grad school when i personally helped restore four letterpresses at the university of north texas with a few um, graduate students and a professor of mine and so I, like I said, I was comfortable with this. And though Dave was willing, a volunteer and a helper, and he was very enthusiastic about it, you can always tell with this amount of money invested and the, the history behind the machine, it is really daunting. So when you were looking and you found it on eBay, is that what you said? We found it on Craigslist. Oh, Craigslist. So. Mm -hmm. Did you, with the condition it was in, because I'm sure some people maybe down there would would like to do the exact same thing you're doing, um, is get one and then refurbish it. What what were you looking for um, on just anything you were looking for? Maybe something that had all its parts, or did you have to buy new parts? Or right, that's a great question because um, if you've never done letterpress before or you've got an interest and you've seen letterpresses but you don't quite know how to how they work it's very easy to get yourself into a situation where you spend a lot of money and it ends up just being a really difficult um, task because you don't have the background um, and what we were primarily looking for was a press that was most of the way put together 
or we were looking for a printing press that is more common that we could replace parts on. Um, and so when we came across this press, it was actually nearly complete. There were a few springs that had to be um, added on to um, help our inking disc on the top, which is that flat plate. Mm -hmm. um, they had to be replaced because they had broken over time, but nearly all the parts were available and working. So we were incredibly lucky. Most of our restoration process was removing the rust and taking apart the press to thoroughly clean it and be sure that there were no more broken parts that we couldn't see. It's a, it's a fairly simple machine, the press that we have. And we, there are much more complicated presses out there, especially if you're looking for presses that can print large scale. So to be honest, our very first press restoration as Triple Threat Press was probably one that is that went much easier than other people um, uh, may experience in their first press restoration. And that, so this that we're looking at, this image, and you can actually click mm -hmm. on it and move it over across, over to the chat or wherever in your window, if you have a really big monitor, you can move it over and see everything. But um, this obviously is the springs or screws that you're tightening. And then is this as it's closed or is this completely open? Yes, that's a great question. This is the press when you're looking at it from its side. This is where the level or the lever is depressed that the pressman would would push down to make an impression and what we call the platen and where the matrix is held are pushed together so this is uh, the position that the press is in when it is making the actual impression so some those people, springs oh go ahead go tell, ahead tell us what a matrix is because that's where you hold your type right and all your lead and everything yeah. else so exactly yeah your matrix is in a very basic sense your reproducible surface so your matrix can be a woodcut, it can be lead type, it can be linoleum um, that you've hand cut, it can be metal type, or it can be a photopolymer plate, which is what we work with, which is simply a computer output turned into uh, more or less wood or metal type. Cool. All right, so let's look at another image from this restoration. Let's see. This is Dave really busy. It's much cleaner. Yes. It looks brand new now. <laughs> yeah. And we were we were really lucky in that we have a home studio space. So a lot of these photos you're seeing are the back porch that the studio goes out onto um, the studio space and or the studio or the space very close to the studio. So we were lucky in that over the summer while we were restoring this, when we had free time, we could just go to the studio space, shut the door, keep the cat out and just you know, wax this thing to keep it from oxidizing. We could repair springs. We could oil it and grease it to prepare it for printing so that it was, it was very close to us. We were always kind of fiddling with it. And um, I think that's a good thing to know is that um, you need to be very devoted to this kind of project because it's so easy for it to get out of hand or out of sight, out of mind. It's it's which is what happens with a lot of people who own letter presses who are trying to restore them. It is a daunting task, and um, for us, because of its proximity to our living arrangement, um, we were just lucky enough that this is something that we kind of had to take care of because it was right there. It was it was it was a constant good nagging force on us to finish the press. 
Right. So, well, so how long from the day you picked it up to the day it was ready to do work for, for you or for clients or things like that, how long did that take? That's a great question. Well, I believe that we picked up the press in early July of 2012, and I think that we printed one of our first items probably in August. So it was a pretty quick uh, turnaround, but like I said, I had we had a little experience, and it is a smaller press. Um, the other restorations that I helped with, the timeline was a little bit more extended because of the scales of the presses um, being much larger. So uh, as your press grows, your timeline also grows. Right. Well, so um, how much upkeep per week does it take in oiling and waxing and things like that? That's a great question. Our press, because it is small, is a minimal uh, amount of upkeep. We relevel the platen, which is in that compressed uh, mm -hmm. position. The platen is what pretty much keeps everything level and printing evenly. We relevel the platen most every print job that we do um, because of temperature changes and things along those lines. And um, we tend to oil our press. Probably not as much as we should, um, but it does get oiled, I'd say, like once a week um, okay. to once every two weeks. And when we notice an oxidization, we do um, we do try to wax it. And most of our areas that um, we're seeing oxidization are in the areas that we have to touch a lot. So we're hmm. seeing oxidization on that handle right there, which is um, most frequently touched. We see oxidization on what holds our matrix, which is like a picture frame. It's called the chase. Um, and so those are the areas that we see most of our oxidization, but um, our plan is pretty much once every three or four months when we have the time to re-wax the entire thing as a duo. And so we just recently re-waxed most every surface of it. So it's good for a little while, but it just depends on how frequently you use it as well. I do know um, friends of mine who have letter presses they they re-oils every every job and um, that's probably much more responsible <laughs> um, and they they are truly the experts on press maintenance and we're getting there definitely it's different for every press but um, we it's a it's a it's a small task and if you keep on top of it it's really not too cumbersome but like like the time frame, the larger the press, the longer the maintenance takes. So. Right, right. So I have a question just because I don't know. Because I have worked with letterpress, yeah. but mine was like a flat bed where you put the stuff in. Right. And, um, yeah, you worked with a cylinder press. Yeah. So this has this big round thing. What is that? Mm -hmm. That's really, I think people love this part of the press. They think it's so cool because it's, it's, um, it pivots. That round plate right there is our inking plate. And what that part does is you put a little bit of ink, just dab it around, and when you pull that lever, it actually rotates the inking plate so that as rollers roll over that, it evenly distributes the ink across the rollers instead of having to manually ink up with a hand brayer or something along those lines. Some people also, on their larger presses, um, have the luxury of a self-inking press and they don't really have to worry about 
um, too much inking. This is not a self-inking press. This is, is, this is a very basic press in which you do manually ink, but your ink always first goes on that large disc at the top, the inking disc, and then will be distributed by the rollers over the design that is locked up into the letterpress. That's cool. Yeah, I always had to hand brayer it, so you always got, yeah. you know, the the ink, the, you know, you would have thicker places than and thinner, and so this helps with, I guess, the thickness and stuff like that, so. Yeah, more even ink distribution, definitely, which is, honestly, I find one of the best parts about letterpress is the nuances that it holds and, and the special things that it can do, but also the special things and designs that it can't do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, what is the name of this press that you got? That's, that's a great question. This is a Kelsey 5x8. It is called the Kelsey Excelsior, which Ooh. is very dramatic sounding <laughs> for such a tiny press. So but how, the Kelsey Excelsior, go ahead. No, how old is it, oh. I was going to say? That's a good question. Our uh, press, I believe, is a Model P, and I think is from the 1940s, approximately. Um, so it's pretty old. It's not as old as the uh, a lot of the other presses that I've worked on, um, but in reference to human beings <laughs> who are alive today, it's, it's older. But it's in great shape. I mean, you guys did a great job restoring it, and... I think it really helped that you knew what you were doing, <laughs> so that was good. Thanks. <laughs> Does humidity have anything to do with how well, so in Texas, humidity is yes. kind of high? Humidity is all over the place in Texas. Oh. If you've never been to Texas, Texas, when people say it, it's like its own country, um, I didn't realize how true that was until I moved to Texas. Um, the humidity in Texas depends, of course, upon how, what areas of water are near you. And because we're in North Texas, we have some very small lakes, a very small lake system, many of which are man-made, but we do have several um, naturally fed lakes. And um, the humidity is not too high. I always find that I have pretty good hair days, and that's rare <laughs> in a city where I'm from, like Cleveland, where the humidity is high most of the year. And um, so the humidity does affect a lot of things, especially um, the ink distribution of um, uh, from the rollers onto your matrix. Your rollers will swell and shrink with the humidity in the area and the temperature, and metal is also affected by temperature. So you'll find that that a lot of um, presses with uh, larger budgets than ours actually have more than one set of rollers uh, for different climates. And so they can accommodate for the amount of humidity in that they know when it's humid they can use these harder or softer brayers or rollers and it will print better and when it's less humid they'll use the other pair of rollers. Cool. So you have kind of a interesting um, just real quick you used to work for Apple which I thought was really cool. <laughs> so yeah I, I did. So what was that was right out of undergrad I guess. Mm -hmm. You worked for Apple, and then you knew you wanted to go back and get an MFA in printmaking. Yeah. And so you just worked for Apple for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was out for one year. And when I left undergrad, I 
kind of, I was kind of hitting my stride then. I kind of felt like I was really starting to understand not only printmaking, but where I fit into printmaking, how the work that I was making was going to become um, my future, my career. And so when I left undergrad, I had hoped to go directly into grad school, but to be honest, hindsight's 2020. I'm so glad I had a year off. I learned so much through Apple. I can, I can definitely say that they set me up not only financially for a, a bright future, but um, they had put me in a position that taught me a lot more about computers than I already knew. Not that I was foreign to computers. I've always been a very um, computer savvy person, and I'm not afraid to say it. Um, <laughs> and I, I kind of also felt that I gained a lot of people skills. I was um, in the position of creative at Apple, and the creatives teach the um, customers how to use the software on their computers, which re requires a lot of patience. And I feel like <laughs> if I hadn't worked at Apple, I probably would not be as patient of a person and teacher as I am now. I feel as though um, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me right out of undergrad. So I'm really thankful for uh, my time at Apple and I constantly recommend uh, work at the company to other people who are looking for jobs um, who are unsure about working for the company. I agree. I think it's a good for anybody, especially people who just want to go straight out on their own, it teaches you about what kind of boss you want to be and what kind of company yeah. you want to you want to have and you want to work for. If you have no kind of uh, even just a year, I think you get a lot um, into what you want, and um, I think I think that's good. Drew MK, good to see you guys. Glad you guys could make it, and happy New Year to you too, Drew. Um, so I'm really just impressed that you you got this press in July, and then by August you had opened an Etsy store and you were making stuff and selling stuff. That is like amazing, and you should be so proud. Um, can you tell Can you tell us a little bit about what I mean? You've been you're pretty new to Etsy, and if you guys don't know, um, I will put up her Etsy store. Or their Etsy store, Triple Threat Press. It is more than one person. Um, don't want to leave Dave out. Um, let's see. Here is Triple Threat Press right underneath her Etsy store. So I know you had a ton of stuff at Christmas um, for mm -hmm. the new year and stuff like that. And I'm going to pull up a picture right now. Um, Dave looking really excited. Yeah. <laughs> He, he really loved doing it. I just caught him at an off moment, and it was such a hectic <laughs> event that I, I'm sad to say we didn't really get too many other photos of our booth. This is um, us participating in um, what was once called Etsy Denton, and now is called Dime. It's the Denton, Independ Denton Independent Makers exchange I believe mm -hmm. and um, we put together events and we have Etsyans from all over um, Denton and the surrounding cities get together and we draw huge crowds for these small seasonal festivals of art and craft and um, this is the first event that we participated in and this was in 
October, I believe the very first week of October, and we were um, printing live. That's why you see our little press over there to the right, who was named Pretty Girl, because even though she's refurbished, she's still a little bit ugly. Um, <laughs> and we sold items, and this was really our first, um, our first headway into our Etsy business. We uh, had an online storefront, and we thought we'd start with a bang and went live and in person. So that so was that event. Had you met some other people that were Etsy sellers before this, or did that get you some good connections? Or That's a great question. We do know a couple people who are part of the Etsy Denton. Um, they kind of head up the group. A friend of mine named Rachel, who was um, doing her bachelor's at the University of North Texas while I was there doing my master's, she is a really prominent Etsy um, bag maker, and she um, she unknowingly chose Triple Threat Press to participate in this juried um, event without even knowing that it was us, so she helped us very unknowingly, which gives me confidence because I, I kind of want to say that that she was trying to help us out, but I know, in fact, that she had absolutely no idea that she was <laughs> who we were, and um, she couldn't have. We were brand new. Um, we had attended this event, which is a wonderful event. Everybody in the Denton art scene knows about this event and looks forward to it every six months or so, and so um, it was really an honor for us to be able to participate in this, and it was kind of the the positive reinforcement that was kind of in the back of our minds when we were starting our Etsy store, um, we kept thinking, okay, well, if we don't really immediately sell anything on Etsy, there is this great event coming up. And we knew we would sell something in person because everyone who had seen our objects in person had, say, had said, wow, no, I would buy this. This is really nice. Right. Well, so, and that is a, as challenge because Etsy is so big if you don't if you're if you're watching and you're new Etsy is this worldwide um, group of crafters and they sell vintage stuff they sell all kinds of there it's all kinds of makers are, are putting things together and and selling and you can have a wide range of, of, of kinds of things if you want something crocheted or you want um, you know, some a table made, people are making furniture or whatever. So it's really interesting. It's a great um, avenue for, but it kind of is hard to break in sometimes. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you got over that hurdle? Yeah, we made our first sale on Etsy, um, I believe the day before Black Friday. And it was a pack of cards, so it was a 10-pack, and we're super grateful for um, for the, the people who purchased them. And we really honestly, like most Etsy uh, sellers, we didn't know if we were going to sell anything else. And um, so after we sold that first item online, a lot of purchases started to come in, and they were all for our seasonal items, which we... Um, we specialize and we do put a lot of work into designing them and they're kind of um, they're kind of like I guess how I was talking about artist research for faculty members they're kind of like our research they're our bread and butter to kind of show off the talents uh, or they're they're the uh, sorry the opposite of the bread and butter they're there to show off our talents and they are there to kind of reel people in if we can show them what we can do 
hopefully they'll want us to work on their project. The majority of our money is actually made through custom orders. Though we love our holiday items and we we put so much work into them. We make the most money on custom orders. And I can see um, one of our customers is actually in the chat right now. His name is Sean Starr, and he runs Star Signs, and he's a traditional sign painter. We just finished up a run of business cards for him. And um, it's just a wonderful, Etsy itself is a wonderful way to network because that's actually how Sean found us. He saw a listing on Etsy and he purchased the listing essentially and and he found us online. And so it's just, I kind of believe, uh, another online presence that you can have even if you are not particularly um, avid in other online presences, you're not... Um, particularly a, an avid Facebooker or anything along those lines, I kind of feel like Etsy is just another bulletin board. It's another way to put yourself out there, but it's wonderful because it has that visual presence and it's got a great interface that is easy to uh, walk your way through. It's intuitive. Yes, I love Etsy um, for sure. And I just, it's a great place for inspiration as well as to to get make good connections. So I've also have used it and made great connections with other Etsy sellers too. So that's cool. Um, what are the plans for your Etsy store? So I know in the holidays, I mean, you have custom, obviously you're always able to do custom and, and Laura, you design, so you can design all kinds of things that are fit within that five by eight um, mm -hmm. framework, correct? Mm -hmm. So what kinds of yeah. things, could you design and um, what else, what are your plans for your Etsy store? It's a great question. Um, I feel as though um, we're probably going to stick to primarily um, holiday designs, though we do have some thank you cards, keep in touch cards, and birthday cards coming up. We have uh, several Valentines that are going to be listed very soon, probably within the next day or so. And um, we're excited because like I said, that stuff is really fun to make and print, and and um, it's it's mostly um, I think because we love printing, we are always going to want to keep those in the store and always have you know items in our hands. We're very tangible people. I know myself particularly. I I love holding onto a product, so we'll probably always be making. The cards. That's just the the fun part about our Etsy store, um, and um, I think we're going to get much more into custom jobs um, listings because we actually have a new press and it's larger, so we're going to be able to print up to 13 by 19 inches eventually. Um, it's going to wow. be a little bit of a restoration project, but hopefully it'll be coming soon. It's in the press is in Cincinnati right now. And um, so we'll be expanding the scale of our products as well. Um, and I find that to be, I don't know, to me, very, very exciting. That's cool. Well, it really is this love of design that you're putting into. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the process. So I know because I, Megan, is down there. She and I work together, and she's the printmaker at the University of South Alabama. And she brought this cool new um thing I didn't know about. I thought, you know, I thought all you were doing was this wood type and I'm like, holy moly, how does she do all this and have all this cool stuff with all these designs? 
So you're using this really neat, I don't know how new or how old it is, but can you talk a little bit about the polymer plate process? Yeah, what we have, what you can see now up on, on the screen is the photopolymer plate and the process begins in the computer or in a sketchbook and what you do is you essentially design or draw what you're looking to create and you put it into the computer and you make it strictly black and white. So once that's done, you can take this design and you can send it to someone who has a plate maker. And there are a lot of people all over the world who own these. They're kind of expensive, but um, they're really worth it. We personally order our plates through um, Boxcar Press. It's in New York. And what Boxcar Press does is they um, take our design and they um, make a a photo, like a stencil that will essentially protect this photosensitive plate from light. So wherever you're seeing the letters on the plate is where the plate was protected from, uh, sorry, I apologize, in the reverse, wherever you see the letters is where the plate was not protected from light and it the light hardens this yellow plastic. And so when you wash away the plate with water, which is great. You wash the plate with water and wherever your plate wasn't protected that hardened, you'll get your letters or your high parts. And those yellow parts in that image are the highs. They're what I tell my students to call the hills or the plateaus. And your valleys are that light blue area. That is what will not print. What's cool about this process is you can, you can pretty much design anything on the computer. And as long as it is strictly black or strictly white, your image can be created as a photopolymer plate that you can print in a printing press barring any size restrictions. Our plates are much smaller than a lot of other people's plates because we do have a small press, but it's nice to be able to translate your original idea straight into a product as opposed to having to have this original idea work with the resources that you have like metal or wood type to kind of um, make a hodgepodge of something that resembles your original idea. This gives you your original idea. Right. Um, and the coolest part about this is this wasn't even originally made to be uh, a tool for printmakers. It was actually made uh, to create circuit boards. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, printmakers are pretty well known for taking things from other people's uh, professions and using them to work for their own. And this is just one more example That's of that. Cool. That's cool. So how long is the process if you send a digital file, I guess a PDF, or do you have to send uh, EPS? or? You can send a PDF, an EPS, an Adobe Illustrator file, a bitmapped image, Pretty mm -hmm. much any of those will work, and you send them off to the company, um, and you just have to accommodate for their needs in in um, in your file structure, which is they're very minimal needs. Um, and we can order a plate and receive it without rush delivery in a week. If we order it on Monday, it should get there the next Monday. Oh, that's cool. Sometimes so you... sooner, yeah. So then I have a question. If you're printing business cards, say, and you're going to get as many, you know, business cards up on a um, five by eight, now you have a bigger. So will you, you'll print multiples and then will you, do you have a guillotine? Or do you hand, you're not hand cutting these suckers, well, are you? We, we have to hand cut and we are actually restoring a guillotine now. <laughs> 
it is a mess. It's so rusted, but it's going to be beautiful in the end. Um, we are working on a guillotine so that we can have three or four cards locked up into our, our chase. We can have three or four matrices. But right now, because it's just not practical, we print one at a time. We have one image locked up into our, our, our chase, one matrix, and we put one card in, pull the press down, take the card out, and put a new one in. That's cool, though. That's, um, but that'll be good that you can do that. What will happen is you'll just end up making your, the polymer, photopolymer, will end up having mm -hmm. three up or however many up, will include your bleeds, and then a guillotine is not a paper cutter, just in case. Right. Um, <laughs> Buddy's ready to come over. Um, a, a guillotine is like this big, huge paper thing that you push the paper in, and then there's a like you two buttons usually, so that you're not cutting off fingers, and you push it, and then it comes down, and it it can cut really big, you know, amounts of paper at a time. So you can, and you can usually some are programmable, but these are things that most printers have. So if if you um, you know, I think most designers all know what a guillotine is. But if, if there's a student watching, this is not like a whoop, paper cutter thing. I don't like those no. things. I do not want my students to use those things because they always you wind up wonky. They get, they get really scary, too, in a classroom setting. They're actually, in a lot of um, ways, not up to OSHA code. Um, especially the old ones, which is what we're going to be working with. So um, we have to be really careful and we have to be properly trained to use these things, which is a, a completely um, different end of, of letterpress that isn't probably we might not even touch on is, is the classroom. It's actually not too many places offer letterpress um, as a... Uh, class because it is really dangerous according to today's safety standards. Uh, but if you can do it right, it is incredibly easy to be safe. It is incredibly easy to accommodate into your curriculum. So I think that um, I think that you just have to know about <laughs> the safety precautions that have to be taken. Very true. So I'm going to bring up this other, um, so we're not talking about type high. Right now, this, the, the bottom of the, the valley to the top of the hill is how, how many um, millimeters or inches or picas or pixels it, or whatever? It is, it is minimal. It is minimal. I would say it's probably, it's between one and two millimeters high. It's okay. really shallow. Um, and it depends on the type of plate that you um, have made, which depends on the type of press that you have. So some plates are thicker because you have to put them on what we call a boxcar base. It's made by the boxcar company. It's just a piece of aircraft aluminum that is perfectly level that you can stick this um, this photopolymer to with an adhesive back and it will bring it up to what we call type high, which is the height at which the rollers can roll across only the areas that you want to print and distribute ink evenly. So is it stuck down forever or can you reuse that piece of aluminum? If you're good, you can peel <laughs> off that piece of, of um, plastic and you can actually reuse that. I've reused pieces of uh, photomop polymer plates 
three or four times, and I'm actually pretty good at, at peeling them and not getting them to bend into this funky V shape. And occasionally you will have to put a new adhesive on the back, and they sell rolls of that, so you can easily put that back on there. But that aircraft aluminum boxcar base is actually meant to be a very permanent part of your studio. You spend a lot of money on it. It's very high quality, and it's meant to last a while. So uh, I think the boxcar base people envision that you probably wouldn't need a new one unless you got a new press or you dropped it. Mm. So really, they meant for this one that you get to be used on all your printing projects. So it's really yeah. the polymer plate that you might have to get a new one of because that might get ruined because you might have peeled it funny or it just warping with time. Exactly. And they are being plastic. They're products of, of uh, oils, I guess. And so as they dry out, they do curl and they won't stick as well. They won't print as evenly. So as they as they dehydrate, I guess, they become less and less functional. So you do occasionally need to order more, especially if it's a design that you've used for a long time. So like in printmaking, you have, um, you know, you know, series is, I guess, Siri. I don't know how you say that. But um, <laughs> do you number your cards? Or is this one of 200? Do you have a limited edition that you're doing? Or do you just say, hey, we might print some more. We're not numbering these. Right. Um, I'm under the impression, um, and Dave and I are kind of on the same page, that with a consumer good, it is not typically a limited edition. Um, because of the cost, um, we typically do print larger editions uh, in the hundreds um, for our cards. Um, and I think that a lot of people, though, as soon as you start getting into artist collaborations and um, even um, posters that you might even just be more fine art than consumer good, people do start to number them. We're, we haven't really gotten into that venue yet. It is something that we do want to investigate, particularly with the larger press that we'll be acquiring. Um, but right now, our cards are not, um, are not numbered or limited edition, mostly because of the amount of money that we put into them being, um, I'm not going to say it's expensive, but it's not inexpensive. <laughs> Gotcha. But it's, it's, that's pretty much industry, industry standard, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. So here's an, it, this is it locked up and this is what you're talking mm -hmm. about your matrices and the chase, correct? Yes. The chase is essentially that picture frame that goes around the piece of aluminum with our design on it. And so then you have, it looks like wood pieces, which we would use if you were setting wood type in here, which you could, you could set wood type in this chase that's, or, or lead type that um, mm -hmm. it would have been done like that many years ago. Um, but so now you have this other is, and you just kind of have it, is the box thing come with this grid on it? Yes, it does. It's nice. You can uh, position it if you would like within the grid if it's going to help you with registration. Um, some people do find that with multi-color multi um, designs, having more than one plate, it's helpful to be able to use the grid to stick your plate onto your boxcar backing. That's cool. That's really helpful. So I was going to ask mm -hmm. you about registration and doing multiple colors. How are you... Uh, you know, say if there was a 
a big flood behind of all one color, except you were going to leave where this was white, and then you were going to print a color inside where the type mm -hmm. was. Say it was a flood of red, and then you were going to print the type with black or something. Um, is that, is registration, are you able to get pretty tight, or is it just have to do with, you know, what your client's going for or what you're going for? That's a good question. Typically, when you're looking for really tight registration, what you'll do is, um, and I'm sure designers who have designed for print before are very familiar with this, you'll have crop marks and you'll have um, registration, um, kind of, they look kind of like a, a bullseye. You put those in your design, and when you're printing, your goal is to get those to perfectly align so that you don't have to worry about guesswork. If, as long as all of your bullseyes are lined up, everything should be in check if you did the design correctly in your computer. Um, that being said, paper stretches and um, plates do shrink and stretch depending upon the weather and things like that. So there is a little bit of, of room uh, for error. However, I think that with experience, it's easy to accommodate for that. You make your type a little bit wider than the area you want to fill so that the red and the black would overlap a slight amount. Um, or you're comfortable with things being a little off. And some people, to some people, that's what letterpress is about. They like right. the handmade nature and the small things that happen when you're trying to print more than one color. That makes it unique. That makes it special. But I am a little AR, as Dave can attest, and sometimes I get really, really um, obsessed with getting it right. And so I, um, I'm the kind of person who will proof something 30 times to get it right. So I'm not the kind of person who just lets it go sometimes. <laughs> and you're able to clip your paper in. So if your paper is the right size, then you're always putting your paper in the same spot. It's not adjusting over. So it's really where you put your polymer and where you've locked in the rest of your, your stuff. Exactly. So this is a picture, uh, I guess the ink's been inked, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the yeah, the, the block has been, yeah, the ink is on the roller and it has rolled over the image, over the type, onto that inking disc that's at the top and then back over the type. And if you push down hard enough after the ink, after the inking rollers have rolled over your type, your press closes and you make an impression. And that's the basic is push down the lever all the way, you make an impression. How, how forceful is it? Is it really hard to push down or is it pretty easy? That's a good question. Um, depending upon how much um, pressure you put um, onto your matrix um, by adjusting um, your level of the platen um, and by adjusting what we call the packing, which is paper that you stuff behind the paper you're printing on, um, you may have varying degrees of pressure. We find that when we have people printing live on the press, like at the Etsy event, people actually find it's kind of difficult. It's a different kind of strength. Um, sometimes it's not so much about pressure, but it's about, about a different type of muscle that you don't find yourself using too often. That being said, it does actually require quite a bit of pressure to make a good solid flat of of ink. So um, you have to have enough pressure um, that's evenly distributed. Um, and it's, um, like I said, it's a lot of pressure in the 
a long time ago, letterpress printers were known for missing certain fingers on one hand or another because right. they had stuck their hand in the press and it nipped them off. So it can cut off your finger. <laughs> it can break your hand. Um, it is a lot of pressure. Sorry, my dog will just keep no. whining. So he will lay your down. Your dog is so second. cute. <laughs> he just lays down in my lap and then you can't see him. Um, so what kind of ink? I guess you're using oil-based ink? Mm -hmm. We use a rubber. You can use uh, oil-based. You can use water-based. But we use a rubber-based ink. Rubber-based ink dries a little bit faster. Or much like oil-based ink, so we find that that gives us the product that we're really, um, we're really happy with. So, do you have a drying rack, or how are you drying these as you're making them? Good question. As a small operation in a home studio, we're working our way towards getting a drying rack. But what we do primarily, and we've actually, we have a lot of friends who run letterpress companies who do this as well with smaller prints. Uh, we lay them out on a surface that's covered with newsprint, and we tile them, and then we lay another layer of newsprint on top, and they dry pretty well. These are not very saturated with with um, ink. It's um, it's a different um, surface. It's a smooth ink surface, um, so it's not like those of you who are familiar with intaglio printmaking, where there can be large pools of ink left in areas of um, of the plate that were very deeply bitten with acid. It's a different type of ink. It lays very flat on the surface. So with the rubber-based ink, it actually does dry relatively quickly in those stacks. Okay, so that's cool. So over here in the picture, we can actually see the inking plate is inked now. It's all red. Mm -hmm. So that, and you just have a little glass, um, just like that's where you're putting your ink out and you're wiping it and then you put just little dabs on that big round thing and then it does the rest for you. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a for a small press, it's a small setup. For a big press, it's a big big setup. It seems to be a theme if you, you know, it, and um for some some shops that have lots of presses, they will devote whole tables to those special glass slabs, but for us it's very minimal. Well, that's cool. So, what do you think is the biggest challenge of starting your own press and what's the biggest reward as well? That's a wonderful question because I feel like a lot a lot of people need to know this before they get into things. The biggest challenge is that you do have to have three you have to have three things. You have to have time, money, and a commitment to finishing your project. You have to have time because even with a small press, it's a lot of work. And um, to be honest, if you don't have the time, don't even get into it. Buy a pre, a pre-created um, or pre-refurbished press, and just go from there. A lot of people sell presses online for, you know, two thousand dollars for a press that is like our size because they've already put all the hard, dirty work into it. Um, you have to have a commitment to finishing it because. We've seen so many presses that are in pieces when people just, they couldn't, they or they didn't have enough passion to finish the project. And I don't blame them. It's a very daunting task, but it is necessary. And third, you have to have the money. Like I said, if you 
are starting a business, you're going to need money anyways for startups. You need material costs, particularly if you are not doing freelance work. You're going to be working out of your own budget and creating project, uh, products that you are hoping people are going to buy. You are certainly going to need money, um, not only for um, the products that you create, but the expenses that you incur. You have um, fees on Etsy. You, If you go and you sell anything at a craft fair and you're using an online um, register system like the Square card reader system or even PayPal, you have fees there. You have to worry about keeping your lights on in your studio space, um, whether that's at home or it's in a rented facility off-site. There are so many things that you're going to be paying for that you can't even imagine. So when you get into this kind of thing of either starting a business or restoring a letterpress or just making letterpress art or all three, it's it's about having the time, the commitment, and the funds. So so what do you like best? The time, uh, the what do I like? and the funds? <laughs> <laughs> I like the funds. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I enjoy making money. That being said, this isn't probably something that you're going to get rich at overnight. There are other people out there who are doing this. There are quite a lot of people because this is kind of the in vogue thing to do, which is not demeaning to the process in any way. I think it's very fun and congratulations, Letterpress, you're back in the spotlight. That's great. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy about that, but I think that a lot of people... Um, a lot of people are finding it enjoyable, and so you're going to compete with a lot of people to sell your product. So how do you stand out? How does Triple Threat Press stand out among other letterpress places? What do y'all, what's your thing that That's a good makes you sparkle? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I think we have a special devotion to community. And so we get the word out to a lot of people in our area. And um, we try to make it known that it's incredibly valuable to hire a local business to do your work because when they're charging you taxes, those taxes come back to you. And I feel like a lot of local businesses, they toot their local business horn, but they don't quite know why you should shop local. They've heard people say shop local and and they just can't back it up. But we truly mean it. We're very invested in the progression of our city, Denton, Texas. Um, we want things to, to improve for the city, not that they're bad at all, but we think that it could be more of an artist hub. Um, so we're involved with the community both in real life and online, we we try to make our presence online known through Facebook, Mailchimp. We have a regular email that goes out occasionally with promotions and um, and with um, giveaways occasionally. And so we want people to know that it's it. We do care about them. Um, one other thing I think that helps us stand out is our aesthetic. We are very um, type-driven. I love type. It is so important to me. One of the first things that I personally was attracted to in letterpress was the broadsides that I saw being printed for the country music shows and um, the German Expressionist um, era um, and post-German Expressionist era um, propaganda posters with um, with letter and collage was. Um, 
with the Dadaists and, and things along those lines, I, I always found it to be incredibly interesting what they could do with type and how it didn't have to be a lot. I know that um, Dave and I both have a very similar aesthetic in our design in that people, people call it distilled. We will make a lot of things and then we'll edit them a lot. And sometimes we take out too much, but, but I kind of feel like that is what, that, what, that's what helps us stand out is it's not cluttered. It's just enough. We're clean. We're happy. We're funny. But we're well designed. And it communicates. You're not keeping anything in there that doesn't have to be part of that communication. So that's good. That's great. Exactly. Um, I, your love for type obviously comes out. I'm going to bring up, we don't have much time left, so I'm going to bring up some more. This is um, one of the final pieces that you did with that we were showing the process of. And it's definitely, I mean, it looks like you have two typefaces. You're kind of mixing a, a sans serif typical really neat sans serif and then a, a more display base for the Merry Christmas and you did do y'all correctly so many people misspell y'all they do y-a apostrophe l-l but it's supposed to be you all and my friend uh, who is an editor in Denver she I used to always say well all y'all come on you know and she's like Diane that's like saying no no or something she's like it's <laughs> double you don't need to say all y'all and I'm like well that's what we do in the south we say all y'all but at least you spelled it right and I was very excited about that this is another piece and you have a lot of these little books you want to talk about these a little bit yeah um, these little books are, um, they're 20-page pocket notebooks, um, and they're all hand-printed in the cover. The inside is blank. They're also hand-bound, and so we sat there in early September through late September, right through our, uh, right up to our Etsy event, hand-binding these little pocket notebooks, and I think we have somewhere near 70 of these things, and so they're all hand-cut, hand-printed, hand-bound pocket cahiers for you guys to, to write down your, your wants and desires and to-dos, and this particular book, Dave and I joke around, is kind of my little um, my little project because I am queen of to-do lists. If I don't write it down, it does not happen. I have to admit I'm scatterbrained, so this kind of book was right up my alley, and I thought if there is anyone else out there in the entire world that is like me, they will want this book. So I made it for people like me. <laughs> I like little books, too. I'm with you on the list. If I, if it's been a busy day, my hand, I have a, this is my palm pilot. This is what yeah. God gave me. So I, I use it very frequently. Many, many times my hand will be full. So you also have done some promotions, and I want to put some of those up. Um, this is for your um, yeah, free shipping through yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but these are things for people to look out for. So you're doing mm -hmm. not only community things, but you're also doing community within, when, within even Etsy, I guess. And um so that's great. And shipping can cost some nice little pretty pennies. So that's great. Yeah. And we have fun designing these. We kind of consider promotions another way to exercise our design minds and another way for our design aesthetic to permeate the, uh, the other um, 
I guess, the Etsy sphere or even the Facebook sphere um, where people might see our stuff. And if they like the way that's designed, maybe they'll like the way that we design something for them. Yeah, so cool. So you're really not limited on color. And really soon you won't be limited on size. And a lot of handwork, which I love handwork. I think that craftsmanship is really important. And when you're handing a business card, it's important that you have good craftsmanship with that as well. Um, here's another one. You, you obviously gave some stuff away. Yes, we had a giveaway. Um, and this actually happened right uh, before the holiday season kind of took off and what we did was we asked people to sign up for our mailing list and anybody who signed up for a mailing list up until this one point had their name entered in a drawing and they could be a winner of a sampler pack of every single one of our greeting cards so that included one of all of our holiday cards and I think at that time we had a thank you card and a missing you card or something along those lines and so they got a sampler pack of six or seven cards just for signing up for the MailChimp so we we do appreciate that people care about us and we want to show them that we care back so that's cool that's great and you have one more and then we're gonna we'll have to yeah. And that out. was one of, yeah. This is Go digital ahead. though, right? This is a digital, this is... All the, the past three items, with the exception of the background of the first item, have been digital. So we still want to emphasize to people that we're not just a letterpress company. We're web design and we are graphic design. So we do, like I said, try to exercise all of those minds at the same time and, and show people what we can do. Because, I mean, not to be stuck up, but we're excited about it. We hope they yeah. are too. Yeah, definitely. Well, Laura, we didn't get through all the questions. We'll have to have you back. But this is how to get in touch with them. This is their Twitter handle. And then I would love to have you all back um, next week. We have um, we have more printmakers. We have people who are actually really not really combining the graphic design so much, but they. They are graphic designers as well, but they're more, what we're going to be talking about is more printmaking. But I find a ton of um, inspiration from the way people can draw and use just a different medium. And I think designers need to get out of the computer sometimes and get into paper or doing something. And if you're cutting into wood or whatever it may be. So um, that'll be next week. And so this is designrecharge.org. You can sign up for our um, newsletter. It's once a week. We don't spam you. And if you have any questions or have an, ideas for a show you want to hear, or you have somebody you'd like me to interview, you can email me at diane at designrecharge.org. And here's my two Twitter handles. And then also on Facebook. I know I'm rolling through it real quick. I hate to go over. So Laura, I can't tell you. Thank you so much. And we really didn't. I have so many more questions, but I, maybe we'll just do it like on typography or something and base it. And then you can promote your new line um, for maybe Easter or Mother's Day or something like that. So um, that would be great. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry we didn't get to get into any questions. Um, I know Nikki down there was really excited to come. So hopefully we inspired you. I know she's very inspiring to me. So Dave, Laura, keep going and being that triple threat. So thanks so much. Thanks. And we'll see you all next week.